Welcome back to the STEM Everyday Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Woods, and today we continue a conversation with Andre Doughty and George Valenzuela that we began in episode 165. Last time we talked a lot about education and kids in general, uh, but this time we delve into a lot more of the aspects that have to deal with race and racial issues and what do all those things mean in the classroom in our current world and communities. So again, we're chatting with Andre Doughty and George Valenzuela. And um, again, I'm so excited and so, so glad that uh, the three of us uh, are able to just have this conversation. Uh, I've known, like I said, I've known George for a long time and George introduced me to Andre, who he, he's known for a long time. And um, as, as, I, as I look at all three of us, you know, we don't, we don't look the same, um, but like Andre, like you were talking about earlier, we, we aren't just teachers. We, we are people trying to make uh, an impact on our kids, um, trying to do everything that we can to help all those kids. And uh, right now, again, it's, it's June 2020, and, um, and there's a lot of racial issues and a lot of um, frustrations, a lot of, of things going on in the world. Um, I, I know we could probably talk about this in a lot of different ways, but um, I'd love to just get get Andre and, and George, your guys' thoughts on how are these kind of issues important for us as educators to be taking a look at? Well, I kind of want to give Andre the floor on this one. Uh, I was going to let you go first, man. <laughs> I really am starting to believe that racial equity and human rights is probably, is going to be the most important topic or issue that a collective we as a country and maybe the world will be tackling and will need to tackle to fidelity. Say more. No, go ahead, say more. <laughs> well, you know, like one of the things that, all right, so let's just, you know, put it out there, right? Yeah. Is that okay? Hey, we're, so, we're having a great conversation here. Yeah. So, well, I'm learning a lot as I go through. So, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey happened recently. Uh-huh. And, you know, my family was showing this to me. And I'll be honest, when I saw this, it bothered me. You know, I thought, man, it's messed up. But we've seen this before, right? And so when George Floyd, it was kind of the same feeling. Mm -hmm. um, but when I turned on the TV the very next day, and I see Denver, Louisville, then New York, California, and then shortly after that, Virginia, my hometown, I saw what was going on, that's when I realized that we needed to have outrage at the time that we saw these murders a long time ago. And because we didn't, as a collective, as the people, then it persisted. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that it took for property to be damaged in so many different cities for everyone to say, okay, this is affecting me, whether I like it or not, I can't run away from this. But for me, what it's taught me is that, you know, on my little platform, I need to make sure that when there's injustice, where human rights are involved, where race is involved, and the African American is the most disadvantaged and most um, hunted down in this particular situation. If we're not outraged, then we are not doing our part. And so I made sure, Chris, that I muted my social media and I muted my voice so that I learn more 
but also so whatever information I do put out there, that it's the right information because there's so much false stuff out there that's yeah. not true. And I think we as a people, as a people, need to understand that this is a time when we have to take a side and we have to take the right side, not the side that we may have been taught or we've been told or even the one that we thought about. No, we have to pick the right side. And so I am really happy, hopeful, but a little bit scared too. So I want to yeah. piggyback on that, on your last part. First, uh, spot on everything you said, George, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I would love to piggyback on that picking a side. Um, and so I, I do reflect a lot. I reflect a lot. Yeah. And uh, living, in, living in Oklahoma, uh, I've had my fair share of run-ins with, I'm trying to say it diplomatically, I've had my fair share of some close encounters with people who are service people who did not think of you as a human being. Mm. And so when I, when I think of Mr. Arbery and how he was just jogging in a neighborhood and he was looking at a house that was being constructed, well, in Oklahoma, there's houses being built all the time. And when I take my early morning jog or when my wife and I walk around the neighborhood and we see new construction and we do the exact same thing, we walk in and we look around and we try to imagine where would the living area be? And is this a Jack and Jill bedroom, bathroom set? Yeah. Like we, we do all of that as well. Hmm. Um, and I couldn't help but to think I don't look like the norm in the neighborhood. And so I could be considered a threat. I very well could. I could have been that situation, um, sadly. And so in, in my reflection, I think to myself, where will we as a nation be 20 years from now? Yeah, so that's important. Let me important. give you an example. Yeah. Like, it, 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 for the, the example that I share is uh, my mom's an educator. My mom just retired as a principal. Um, after 40 years of service. Wow. So when my mom was a little kid, my mom went through the integration of schools and the desegregation of schools. Mm -hmm. And so my mom got to see all of the non-Black people screaming and fussing at her that they didn't want to say, that they didn't want to desegregate. My mom can remember hearing adults, parents, grown women, Fussing out this little child, calling her every little word in the book, except for the right word, which was her name. Yeah. My mom can remember it. Now you fast forward, where is that generation now? All those people who dealt with all of that, where are they now? What does history look like for them? They can't and say, that was not me, because history proves otherwise. What about the Little, uh, Little Rock Nine um, and how those nine high school students went and desegregated the school and all of the national cameras were there and everybody was there filming and you saw in the background a lot of non-blacks spewing their hatred. Fast forward 20, 30 years later, those pictures are forever ingrained in history. Yeah. And I say all that to say we are living 
in a right now technology historical book. What you write, what you say is there forever. Yep. So your silence, if you never speak up, it is there forever. Your racist views and you secretly put it in a Facebook group that you don't think will ever be found. It will be found. It yeah. is there for forever. So I truly wonder what does the 20 years from now look like? Will you have people who say, oh, yeah, I was for Black Lives Matter way back with Colin Kaepernick. Were you really? Oh, I was for Black Lives Matter the very first time Trayvon Martin. Were you really? Like, this is a really great opportunity for those who perhaps had never, ever considered it to confess and consider and reconsider. Mm -hmm. I think back, Andre, um, in, in history and some of those, those just terrible parts of history where people could hide their identity yeah. with, with a sheet and a, or a mask or a hood. And, you know, you can't now. What, the choices that we make, the, uh, the, the things that we say, the things that we support, um, whatever it may be, the thing, and, and I'm, I'm one of those people where it's not just, it's not just what you, what you do, but it's also what you don't do. You know, there's yeah. this, like the, the sins of omission and the sins of commission. Um, Correct. Yeah. And that, you know, so as I'm hearing Andre speak, like these are things that I don't even think about. And this is why I don't think about those things is because I have a kind heart. Yeah. But when I reflect on myself, I realized that, you know, when our African-American brothers and sisters, when they were marching or they were protesting recently, mm -hmm. no one, you know, came out the way that we should have as a country, like we're doing now. And that's why George Floyd happened. That's why. Because we abandon people and we abandon them not always because we're racist, but because if it's not happening to me, I don't know how it feels. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway for me, you know, and I think I said this earlier, is that whenever injustice is being done, and yes, African-Americans right now is where we need to focus in our country, but anywhere, to anyone, if we don't speak up, then we can't get mad when yep. it reaches our doorstep. Yeah. When it reaches our doorstep. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, and I'm gonna Google it real quick. It reminds yeah. me of a famous poem about Germany and Nazi. I, I was thinking the same thing, Andre. You know, first, first they came no for one's this group. Yeah. You know. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, the just great minds thinking alike, piggybacking <laughs> off of what George said. How I mean, some some poet could easily reconstruct that the first they came to what it looks like now, um, and it doesn't mean that uh, that other lives don't matter. We can consistently see that there is an issue here, and for mm -hmm. us to not address this issue, that what, what will people think twenty years later? I'm, I'm just going to keep going back to that. Yeah. To all of my friends who have been silent, what will history say 20 years later, 30 mm -hmm. years later, 
because now everybody worships, I hate to say it that way, uh, but it appears that people love to worship Martin Luther King Jr. and what he stood for and how he stood and how everybody is on board, but they were not on board in the 60s. Right. He was deemed a terrorist. Same with Malcolm X. People, oh yeah, I love everything about what Malcolm was teaching and, and how Malcolm shared and, and by any means necessary, but people can't, for, just uh, appears to forget that uh, he was also on the terrorist list. He yeah. was hated, both of them were hated. The Black Panther Party hated. Gun reform happened because they were walking around with guns. <laughs> and so now, everybody looks back during that age and they were like, yeah, he was a champion of justice and I supported him. Did you really? Because yeah. mm. yeah. history shows that he did his, I think it was like his favorable rating was like in the, oh, I had to Google it, but his favorable ratings were very low. Yeah. So how is it that everybody supported and loved and cheered and marched but his support, his supporting was low. So going back to it, 20 years down the line, when we are all older and this generation alpha are now in their 20s, mm-hmm. what will history say about their parents and their grandparents? Right. And, and, and what are those uh, people who are kids right now, 20 years from now, they're going to be in their 20s. Mm-hmm you know, they're, they're seeing everything that's happening right now. And, you know, it's, it mm. most cer- it most certainly is having an effect on, on their thought processes, on their hearts. Um, but I think too many times, like you said, Andre, for, for generations, we've said, this is a problem. It needs to be fixed. Is this a problem? It needs to be fixed. But at some point, it has to be fixed. It has to change. Yeah. Do we do we have the solutions? Yeah, I've got two. Uh, and, and this Good. is the two that I've been sharing out loud and proud uh, without fear. My Good. two things are really simple. Uh, this story has never changed. The fact that I'm the same fight my and my dad was in when my dad had to go to the back of the theater and go through the alley and next to the garage and the, and the, the garbage and go up the steps to the alley uh, to the balcony just to watch the movie. It's the same fight fight that his parents had when they were picking cotton and they were share uh, croppers and, mm-hmm. and were being called the N-word. This is the same fight that the lynching has had. Oh, that's the same. What makes this different is two things. The very first thing is... Uh, we now need to assess circles. So my non-black friends, assess your circles, those private chats, those private groups that you're in, those public chats, those public groups, start to assess why is it that there are not minorities there? Why is it specifically there are not black voices in there? Mm -hmm. Assess your circles. Why is it that there is no black leadership in this admin building? Or they're not even a seat at the table. Why is it that we are at these conferences and on these boards at these conferences? There is no melanated figures whatsoever. Assess these circles. And then the second thing is you can no longer stay silent. You see what's happening. We are in 2020. You could easily Google this and you can find the history of this exact same thing. 
Right. Whether it be through my generation with Rodney King, whether it be before me with the Civil Rights Movement, whether it be before that with Black Wall Street, like you can no longer stay silent. Yeah. When you see the racism and you see the racism because it is on all of social media. When you read the comment section on some of these reports and some of these articles and some of your favorite websites, you can no longer stay silent. Those are the two things. First thing, the social circle. Your meemaw might be racist. Yeah. And you probably either already know it or you're just saying, oh, this is just meemaw being meemaw. No, you can no longer stay silent. Speak yeah. up for right. And I think the perfect example for that, uh, maybe three days ago, and it was the a, a quarterback who just got drafted. And he was talking, uh, he was saying some racist stuff. But he was saying it in, in a group chat. And so one of his friends screenshotted it and posted it on Twitter. Yeah. And so then he replies, take it down, take it down, take it down. And she's like, no, it's not my problem. This is your problem. Mm -hmm. And wow. so now the NFL is really looking at him. So now his teammates, his new teammates in his NFL locker, they are looking at him now like, really? Those are the type of allies that we need in this fight. That is how you become anti-racist. When you see it, no longer stay silent, speak it out. That simple. Yeah, yeah and that's a great point um, on race making. Um, we have a friend, well, before I talk about our friend Chris Hanks, um, you know, PBL Works, um, you know, over the... I'm saying over the summer, like we were just at home. Like I feel like the past <laughs> months is just, you know, summer break, but no, it wasn't. Um, we were doing a lot of SEL work with um, a few of the clients I've been working with. And I shared a story when, where when I was a kid, I met another kid who had better sneakers, a better haircut, a better outfit, and he had more friends. And they treated him poorly at, at that time. And so in my young mind, I didn't know why I did it. I just did it, you know, impulse. And when I got into my 20s, late 20s, I realized I was, I was jealous of this person. And so on Facebook, I, I reached out and I apologized. And so in my workshop, I was talking about this story. And this young lady who's very well-versed in social-emotional learning stopped me. She said, George, when you were a little boy, that was not your fault because self-awareness is something you have to be taught. Okay. And so think about what Andre was saying about how to be anti-racist. So let me fast forward a little bit. So one of the things I realized in this situation, hearts and minds do not change very easily, but policy can protect people that need protection. Mm -hmm. And so that's the primary thing. But now we also have to assess circles. And, you know, you and I, Chris, have talked about this, assessing our circle. And sometimes not only do you have to unfollow people online, you have to unfollow them in real life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so a friend of mine, um, Chris Hanks, um, called me up and she did a check-in. It's an emotions, you know, check-in. And so when I told her about policy, she said, you need to listen to Ibram Kendi, you know, Dr. Kendi. 
and he has a book on how to be anti-racist. And so here's the thing. She said to me, what you don't have, you're missing, is the research or the data and certain language because you don't know about this topic. So immediately I jumped on a podcast with Dr. Kendi and I realized very, very quickly that this is something that whether we realize it or not, we have to learn. Yeah. If we don't learn, not only are we not, you know, picking our circle wisely, but we ourselves could be hurting our kids, not just our students, but our kids at home, mm-hmm. our spouses, our relationships, and ultimately the country. Like we said earlier, when it comes on everyone's doorstep, you know, that's a result of not doing the right thing. Yeah. Right on. Right on. I keep thinking about um, just the kids, you know, because for me, I, I always just come back to the kids. I mean, we're, we're educators. Yeah, we may help other teachers. Andre, you're doing uh, some super stuff. And again, uh, check out, I can't en- encourage people enough to check out andredowdy.com to find out more information. And um, we need people like Andre. Um, we need people like George. We need people, but you guys especially. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> okay. You well, have a platform. you have a great platform. You're a great man. And every day on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, you are teaching all of us about STEM and you're doing it in the most humane way and loving all kids. And that is something that I realized very early on. Um, Andre, I think I was telling you, um, mm-hmm. Chris has always provided his platform to amplify the voices of yeah. people of color. And so he was actually on Home Ed Connect. <laughs> and so, you know, that's just, you know, that love is always reciprocated back to you, man. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, guys. I really do appreciate that. <laughs> um, just, a, just a lot of love in this place here. Yeah, um, you, had, you had to take it. Yeah, there, there was no running away from that one. You know, yeah. You could deflect from that. Yeah. Okay. So we got these kids, you know, I mean, and, and we, we love these kids. We're, yeah, we're helping educators, but we love these kids. And, and my, my heart just keeps saying, you know, if, if we don't learn from the past mistakes, we're condemned to repeat them. I, how, how can we as educators each and every day practically, I know we've kind of talked about some of these things already, but you know, what's that, and I know, Andre, you already said, what are those, those two most important things that you're doing too? But what is that most important things that we can be doing for, for our kids right now? We have to teach them that silence is compliance. Mm-hmm. I can dig that. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of been going through that already, just thinking through just the whole bullying issue. You know, just yep. it's not right to be a bully. Somebody needs to stand up and, and speak up. But even more so, with racial issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the fear comes into play because um, it may be your parents. That's mm. a scary, that's a scary feeling yeah. to know that uh, here I am, I'm hearing and I'm reading and I'm learning about how to be anti-racist and I'm looking inside of my circle and my circle appears to have some of the same characteristics of a racist. Mm. Uh, of a system filled with supremeness 
that is not equal to black people or black and brown people. Um, that, that is so scary. Yeah. Uh, but that is where the courage really comes to play, where they are not alone in this fight. No. But you got to be able to fight. You got to be willing to do and to find your voice. Um, there's a school that I know, and uh, there were some racial things happening in the school. And so then the student on the football team was like, no more, no more. We, we, we will shut this entire season down. Mm. You guys love football. We will shut this stuff down. Yeah. You addressed it. And then it forced the administration to address some of those racial concerns. So finding your voice in the midst of this. And what I hope, and even the, the listeners listening, I hope that you are courage to find your voice wherever it may be whether you are a uh, keyboard warrior and you find your voice there and you share out to others how to not be or you are a person who finding the courage to go attend a protest and you are walking with pride saying I can't breathe it matter wherever you are finding your voice I really hope that you're finding your voice and then showing your, your students how to find their voice. Because we as teachers, we don't teach them what, we teach them how to think mm. and let go from there. Yeah. That's I hope that, you know, throughout this, this conversation that we've had is that we're giving courage to find the voice and to speak up. Mm -hmm. That's a great point, Andre. Yeah. 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 Well, well, not many. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we all, all dropping dimes today. Like, I think we all rocking a triple-double right now. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just heavy I, on the heart, man. Heavy on the heart. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd, I'd love to, um, to kind of – I mean, we've talked about so many issues, and I think there's so many more things that, that could be said and need to be said. But uh, like you said, Andre, it does. It starts with us. It starts with us not being silent. George, it, it, we can't be silent um, because like you said, Andre, 20 years from now, we don't want the same thing to happen. Five years from now, we don't want the same thing to happen. Not because, not because we just don't want it to happen because it'll make us feel uncomfortable again, but because it's not right. That's why it needs to end. It, and George, you've, you've made this, this point already. Yeah, hearts have to change, but um, really need to take whatever opportunity that we have to yeah. say, what are some policy things that can, can happen? I think about as educators, why can't we at least speak up and say, it is not right that some school districts get far more thousands of dollars than other school districts. How can we make, make that more um, fair, more right? How can, how can we do a better job of encouraging people of all, all races to all ethnicities to, to, step into the classroom and, and do this incredible tough job that is, that is educating the next generation. It, it is really a mission field, what, what we're doing. Yeah. Like, you know, teachers are in, like, we're at the front lines, mm -hmm. you know, all the policy happens, you know, um, everything's going on, but we meet the students first head mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that. And so I think that schools need to really look at their federal funding, you know, in particularly, Title II and four funds. You know, if this is for educational technology or for tech, but also for how teachers are trained. 
our teachers in our country need to be trained specifically in two main things. Number one, how they plan instruction. And number two, how they deliver instruction. And so, you know, they, they have to know at this point, it's not just academic and career learning. There's social emotional learning. If I'm a teacher after this pandemic, after what's happening in our country, then I have to be culturally aware, culturally responsive, trauma-informed, understand what restorative justice looks like, whether it's someone that, you know, needs help, whether we all have to get on the same page. You know, these things look very different. And so what the strategies are, we need to know them. And so schools need to think about that. And so, you know, Andre and I have been all over the country. And the thing that I see over and over and over again in so many spaces is that the instructional leader is more of a manager or a supervisor and not necessarily the instructional leader. And so, you know, our craft is curriculum and instruction. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, we know that, George. Do we? You know, I can't purchase a curriculum that's mine. No. When you work with a staff and you plan it together, the curriculum belongs to the school. And then when you practice using instructional strategies that are evidence-based and vetted educational protocols, and you practice on how to deliver that, and everyone in the building is using the same strategy, using the same language, yeah. you know, then it works. And the reason why, we may be siloed in one classroom, but the kids aren't. Mm-hmm. And one school is a feeder into another school. You know, it's funding, how funding is used, um, is being used. And so, you know, right now, you know, everything we're saying, you know, r- racial equity has to be a part of that. Yep. If we don't, they were not really current. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like how all three of us have different wants, uh, no, no two schools should ever be the same. Yeah. Um, there are different needs at different schools. And so I think this is where the equal versus equity comes into play. Mm-hmm. Yes, they, it, it is much easier for a district to say, we'll all read the same book. That's just so much easier from from the above to yeah. the implementation to the training. It's a little more challenging when this group over here or this this school here they need more support. Yep. Yeah. So um, that is, I believe that is where I think that is where the conversation lends itself, and I think that's where the disruptors in education whether they be the edutainers, whether it be edutwitter, whether it be whoever's chat or whatever. Yeah. I think that's where the conversation now goes, where it's no longer a one-size-fit-all model for education. Yeah. Because clearly we see that Black lives have not mattered in the world. So if it's not mattering in the world, how much is it mattering in the school? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where the conversation ends up going because we're going to see inequity. We've been seeing inequities uh, on the streets, justice system. So now I'm hoping that it trickles down to you can actually address some of these same things um, in school. Yeah. 
Awesome. So many, so many great thoughts. I'm, I'm so appreciative, Andre and uh, George, for um, just having this great conversation today. Uh, I, I can't encourage enough people to, to check out andredowdy.com. And if they want to find out more about George, head to lifelonglearningdefined.com. And of course, those are both in the show notes as well. And we're not always we're not always serious like this all yeah. the time. Like, oh yeah! If you were to go to my YouTube channel, you'll see oh. that I bust jokes. All, but like, I mean, so this is a heavy time, and it, it's needed that way. Yes, but I'm, I'm serious. Um, you know, I don't have you know unraised talent for you know rapping or or singing or <laughs> you know I don't have all that you know but you know but you know, the passion is there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Andre's got some, some pretty funny he's stuff. Got, yeah. He's got skills. Um, yeah. I want to give a shout out to the unicorns, um, for PBL works. Um, long story, Chris is okay. If you don't know, but we have some funny guys there that have a lot of talent in, in that group. Um, you know, Jim Bentley, um, James Fester. And so them and Andre always get together. Um, when we have summits and they just blow you away and they make you, wish that you don't grab the microphone <laughs> not be able to follow that up <laughs> that's awesome cool definitely have to check that out okay i just want to give you guys each one last final thought i think if you're a teacher you need to work on your craft um there's a book called outliers by malcolm mm -hmm. gladwell yeah now i'm not saying to read the whole book you know um you know i'm not saying that but there's a concept in there about the ten thousand hour rule and so one of the things that people like Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, you know, Justin Bieber, Barack Obama, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, the thing they all have in common is that they put in 10,000 hours of work into their craft, which made them an expert. Mm -hmm. And so that translates to three hours a day, 20 hours a week, over 10 years. And so if you want to be an expert teacher, a master teacher, you have to put the time in, into how you plan and how you teach. And that never, ever ends. Yeah. And those kids deserve a master teacher. Every kid. Yes. How about you, Andre? Oh, 100% agree with what George said. They deserve a master teacher, kind of like what we went back to. How he said, if people come to my arena and they come to see me play, I deserve to give them 100%. Yeah. Uh, for me, it is real simple. Keep the foot on the pedal. This is the first time we are actually, as a nation, truly addressing equity. Truly addressing it. And as uncomfortable as it will get, as it will get more uncomfortable. Keep the foot on the pedal. So one of the questions I do love to ask, if you could have dinner with someone past or present, George, who would it be? So I can really Google anyone now and I can watch them on, on YouTube. So I'd say have dinner with you and Andre. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd say that would be amazing to, you know, have dinner with the both of you, you yeah. know, like, you know, it's no point on me, like, you know, going back in time, like, you know, it's 2020 and, you know, I think 2020 is destined to be one for the red books. Yeah. Um, if they come up with something else, whew. Yeah. So well, I, I think, I think Andre's um, kid could definitely cook for us, I think. So <laughs> How about Dude, you? All, all of my family, we, we, we pretty good at it now. We're still growing. But we're that's pretty that's good awesome. At it. Hey, never, never being satisfied with, with where you're at. So, and Andre, the question for you, um, if you could have dinner with somebody from past or present, who would it be? 
Ooh. I can only have one? You can have two if you want. You can have a dinner party. You can have, you can have a whole dinner party yeah. if you want. Oh, yeah. Give me a dinner. Yeah. Give me a dinner party. I'd start off with Harriet Tubman. I would All love right. to, to, to hear her words. I then would go with Frederick Douglass. Oh, yeah. Uh, then I would, from there, I would love to talk to Benjamin Banneker because he built D.C. Oh. He constructed D.C. Yeah. And then from there, I would love to actually talk to uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Oh, wow. Because yeah. it was a lot of his thought processes that started the FBI, which started Pro, which said to the entire world that Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X or insert whomever are, are terrorists. So I love for all of us to sit down at the table and really deconstruct or really analyze why they thought what they thought and what courage it took. And then if we're talking present, um, I'm definitely got to talk to President Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to hear their, their their philosophies, their thoughts. I would love to hear Colin Powell oh, yeah. and Condoleezza Rice as well. Uh-huh. I would love to talk to them. And, and she can and, play the piano like I too. Say, man, it's, oh, she's great at it too. Like I, there are so many people that I would love to just pick brain. Yeah, because that's what I really want. I want to pick your brain. Yeah, uh, uh, and and see how we could approach different thing malcolm glad i mean i can keep going on and on yeah. killing mike there's so many people that i could like i want to i'll pick a brain cornell dr cornell west kanye yeah. west like i i, I want to dissect their thinking and see how then it would help me reflect to become even a better educator yeah so there's just so many man there's, yeah. there's so many and and you know what andre that's that's why i love asking this question because i think it it helps all of us really think about and realize how much there is for us to learn from from people out there from their experiences and and again it just a credible opportunity today to learn from from andre from your experiences george from your experiences and so i want to just again thank you both uh thank you george and valenzuela and thank you andre dowdy for for joining us on on the podcast today just an incredible um opportunity and and privilege to be able to talk with both of you yeah, thanks for inviting us to the table to talk, man. Yeah, it's a yeah. pleasure. Thank you so much. And again, definitely check out and find out more, not just about Andre and George, but about all those people out there, those people that can inspire your kids each and every day. Never, never stop, stop learning.